Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. you to remain standing uh, in body or in spirit for the reading of God's holy word as we wrap up uh, this is our last uh, sermon in our beatitude series whether you like it or not it's the final one these are Matthew uh, chapter 5 verses 3 through 10 let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So Lord, we just pray that your word would be true in our lives and in our hearts and that you would shape and form us today. So God, speak for your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would say that it is more challenging to be a Christian in America today than it has at any time in our lives, probably no matter how old or young um, you are. It is, it is more challenging, it is more difficult, it is not as easy as it once was. And, and we've experienced the way that the world has shifted over the years um, in a variety of ways. Let me just share a couple of how they've impacted me. I remember when I was uh, in college at Oklahoma City University, we had an intramural basketball team from the Wesley Foundation, uh, which was made up primarily of people like me who either were involved in the church or working at a local church who also liked sports. Um, we were in good Methodist fashion. We were called the circuit riders, um, and uh, we, we really enjoyed being, um, being a team. The, the highlight, since you all were wondering, Aaron, what was the highlight of your intramural basketball experience um, that year was when we beat a team when we only had four players. Um, and they had five, well, they had more than that. They had some people on the bench and they'd rotate in and out and they were so mad that they couldn't beat us. It was one of those things that once we got a lead, they started yelling at each other. So they started playing worse, which means our lead only increased and the game was never in doubt. So that was the highlight of my intramural basketball season. Thank you for asking. Um, that's not the point of the story, but the point of the story is this. So we got to the end of the year, and we weren't like the best team in the league. We were just a, kind of one of the, the middle teams um, in, in the league. But we got an email about when the end of the season tournament was going to be. And much to my chagrin, I got the email that the tournament was going to begin on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and go throughout the day. Well, that just knocked our team out. Uh, we weren't able to do that. I couldn't ask these people to take off from work or to not be in church, and I, got, I was pretty mad. So I did what a lot of us do when we get mad. I wrote an email. 
And I got on my computer and I wrote this scathing email. Tell How dare they? Don't you know this? We're a Methodist college. All sorts of stuff, you know, that I put in there and lots of things. And I, I sent it to our campus minister at the time. It was a, a gentleman. Some of you know him because he uh, is part of uh, day spring and camps that we've done. His name's Brett Thomason. And I sent it to Brett and I was like, Brett's going to be on my side. He's going to, we're going to storm the whatever. I don't know. We were just fired up. And uh, so I sent him an email, and uh, in good, he, was a, he was a campus minister, and in good campus minister fashion, he said, Aaron, this is a great email, but it's probably not going to accomplish what you're open to accomplish. He said, when I, when I try to get a point across, I, I, I try not to use so much uh, anger and heat as you did um, in this particular one, and let me help you rewrite it. And so uh, he helped me rewrite it, and I learned one of the most valuable lessons in life, which is never, ever, ever send your first draft. Never do that. Write it out, say, get all of it out, put it in a folder. Don't ever press send to the people you need to send it to. But it, it just felt like something had happened, right? That, that there was a wrong, that this should not happen. Sunday morning is supposed to be sacred time, right? Uh, we, we experienced this a, another time about 10 years ago. I was uh, the pastor in Muldrow, Oklahoma, um, which is out east Oklahoma. And um, when we were there, there was a, a spring where there was a, in the walls of all of the classrooms in the school, the Ten Commandments were posted. They had been posted about 10, 15, 20 years before that, and they had been up. But a student um, took a picture of the Ten Commandments, sent it to a group called the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and they sent a letter to the school and to the school board um, that said that violates the law, which it did, um, and that those need to come down. Well, that stirred up a big old controversy in the community of, of Muldrow, uh, uh, it was really sort of people, they, they felt something was happening. They felt that something important was being taken away from them. And so I remember there was a guy named Tom, and, and Tom in our church, he, he said it pretty well, I think, that, that spoke for a lot of people when he said, um, he said, first they took away prayer in schools, and now they're taking down the Ten Commandments. I wonder what is next more challenging to be a Christian today than it has been at any time in our lives because it, 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 the world is changing and we don't know what to do with it. I came across some statistics and, and I think that we know them to be true is that in 1972, 90% of people self-identified as Christians. But in 2018, that number was at 64% who self-identified as Christians, and we've, we've seen that, and we've felt that, and we've experienced that, that the world that we knew is no longer the world that is, and, and historians have noticed it as well, particularly Christian historians have noted it, and they talk about this idea called Christendom, and, and I know that that's kind of probably a strange word for most people, so let me talk about what, we, what Christendom, Christendom is when the default is that people are Christian, it's when 90% of the people are Christian, and the rituals of that are Christian. This is how a professor at Wheaton College, uh, which is an evangelical college in Chicago, Illinois, says it. He says, Christendom is that situation in society where Christian faith and congregations get preferential treatment, status, and privilege. And that's been the world that we've had, where the default, the expectation, is that the, the person you meet at the grocery store, nine out of ten of those people are Christian that we share a base value and a base way of living and a, a base expectation and assumptions. Don't touch Sunday morning. We all can agree on the Ten Commandments, these sort of things. And sometimes that makes us feel like we're being persecuted when we run up against these challenges. But is that persecution? 
Um, one of the books that I've been using throughout this whole series to inform my reading um, is a book called The Beatitudes from the Backside. It's written by, um, he was, well, he was a seminary professor, he was a pastor, he actually was a, the seminary president at Asbury uh, for a couple of years, a guy by the name of, of Dr. Callis, uh, Ellsworth Callis, J. Ellsworth Callis, to, I don't know what the J means, but I don't know what the J stands for, but that's not the point of this either. Um, Dr. Callis um, was, was given all the gifts that um, a preacher should have or, or wants to have. One, he had this voice, one of those low, booming voices that you just felt like God was speaking to you sometimes. He, had a, he, he was a big guy, and so he had this kind of commanding presence. He had this unbelievable memory to remember everything. He only preached without notes, and he never missed a word. It was an extraordinary thing. He had a way with words. He was clever. He, he could interpret the Bible. He had all of these gifts. It was totally unfair. But it was so great to be able to sit under his teaching. And I still sit under his teaching as I read from some of the books that he's written. And this is what he said about this beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, I have not had firsthand experience with persecutions. I have preached several times in places where Christian witness was severely restricted by the government. But I have never lived day in or day out where my bodily freedom and safety were in danger because of possible arrest, abuse, or death. The first century Christians knew what Jesus meant, and so do literally millions of 21st century believers in a number of places in the world. But my experience is minimal. In my junior high, high school, and college years, I was sometimes an outsider because of my standards of personal conduct, personal, social, economic or political morality and some folks have made it clear that they think the world would be better off if I were removed from the planet but no one has seriously threatened to see my elimination so I confess that I don't really know a lot about high-grade persecution and I think that's true for all of us we really don't know a lot about high-grade persecution. And so I want to share with you a couple of quick stories um, from a, a group called The Voice of the Martyrs, and they're an organization that, that shares about um, the, the persecution um, that's happening in the world and in the church today. And so we're going to watch a couple of these. In 2002, Pastor Fung Chow opened his eyes after prayer to the alarming sight of police waiting to seize him he was arrested for bringing Bibles to the jungles of Vietnam. Knowing they intended to kill him, Chow broke free and fled, but was soon arrested again. In custody, officers demanded he sign a document stating Christianity is a false religion. After failing for a month to get Chow to sign, officials ordered him to tell a crowd of Christians who gathered there to reject Jesus. Chow knew the police did not speak their Hmong language and said to the crowd, Jesus is true. Pastor Chow knew his persecution had a purpose because many Hmong people turned to Jesus that day. Pray for Christians who sacrificed their freedom to spread the gospel. Read the full story of Pastor Fum Chow and many others at vom.org stories. Eritrea is considered one of Africa's most restricted countries. Dr. Burhani, a new Christian, was working in a hospital when secret police rushed in and arrested him. 
Government officials sentenced him to 11 months in a maximum security prison because of his Christian witness. But Dr. Burhani found something unexpected in prison, freedom. There is more freedom inside the prison than outside. People feel freer to worship inside the prison than outside. While in prison, Dr. Burhani trusted God for his future, though all around him inmates were being tortured and executed. Today, he remains on the front lines giving help and encouragement. Pray for Dr. Burhani and for Christians imprisoned today for taking their stand for Jesus in Africa. Read the full story of Dr. Burhani and many... And so that's what's going on in the world today, that, that these are just a couple of stories and there's, there's so many stories that goes on. And, and, and again, I, I think it's important for us to understand that um, and to be, to admire the faith that those who are in a different category and a different world and a different place that they experience every day. And so what is it that we are experiencing? I mean, we are people who, who we see the world as it is. And, and again, we, are in, we have gone from this time of, of Christendom to this time of post-Christendom. Again, Christendom is that situation in society where Christian faith and congregations get preferential treatment, status, and privilege. Now, we don't really like this word privilege. It kind of sets us back. We don't like to think of ourselves as, as privileged. Um, but, but I think there's some truth here about privilege that we need to understand about our own faith. Now, what is privilege? You all know I like to define term, but, but one definition of privilege is simply an unearned benefit, that there is an unearned benefit that I get. Um, and so one of the ways that I have privilege, and I think probably most people have privilege in this room, is that we are right-handed. Uh, anybody in here left-handed? All right, there's a few of my left-handed people, um, and, uh, and, and even like, what's so, what I love about it is that some of my left-handed people, they raise their left hand, but others have been living in a right-handed world so long, they're just like, I'm supposed to raise my right hand even though this is the one I want to raise, right? But that when I went to school, it was a privilege to be right-handed because I just slid into the desk and I got my little brush thing right there. I don't know how you left-handed people do it, right? And nobody ever wants to sit next to a left-handed person eating dinner right? Because they keep elbowing you because they're using the wrong hand, right? There's something about that, right? It's an unearned benefit that I have being right-handed. I can pick up that guitar and play it because it's designed for a right-handed person. My brother-in-law, he has to flip the guitar around and play it opposite of that way. If I go to Top Golf, I can just grab the clubs. I have plenty of choices because they are designed for right-handed people. It's, it's an unearned benefit. It's a privilege that I have. I also have the uh, benefit of, of being a male pastor. It's a different world being a, a male pastor versus being a female pastor. When I talk to my clergy sisters, they tell me things about their world that are very different than mine. None of you, until I pointed it out this morning, have ever commented on my shoes. But a female clergy, one of the things that they would do is they, when they walk out, people always comment on their shoes. And sometimes they don't just comment to them about how good the shoes are. They said, can you believe the shoes that she was wearing? In fact, a lot of female clergy, including Donna Dotson, who was here before me, just wear a robe because it takes the conversation back on the message instead of on the female's clothing. I go to ministerial alliance meeting, and I never have to worry about being the only female in the room as currently is set up there and wondering about my perspective. And I'm so thankful for the, the female minister and, and the female ministers we have on staff because it's, it's 
more challenging for them. I have an unearned benefit of being a male who is a pastor that I didn't have to earn, I don't have to work for. You know, one of the other privileges I have is simply that both of my parents, uh, my parents are married, and they've been married, and they stayed married, and, and that's a benefit that I had, where I had a father and a mother, that I had that safety and security that not everybody gets, that some people are raised in single-family households, that others are, are in foster care or other such stuff, of no, of no earning of them, of no work of them. It's just simply an unearned benefit. I had another experience of an unearned benefit uh, not, not too long ago. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago. On a Wednesday night, I decided uh, um, that I was going to go have a spiritual retreat. I need to slow down. I need to spend some time with God. I knew that this was going to be a rough season in the church. And so um, I went to a spiritual retreat center um, up in Tulsa. And so I left on a Wednesday night after our Wednesday night classes. And, and it was kind of late, about 9 o'clock or so, as I was making my my way out of town, and I was going, I took the Kilpatrick Turnpike to get to the Turner Turnpike to get to 44 so I could make it up to Tulsa. And as I was crossing the I-35 interchange, there's a little bridge that's there. Now, I think a lot of you know I drive a white Toyota Prius, which is known for its ability to accelerate. So there's nobody around, and so in my white Toyota Prius, I, I have to um, I, I need to use any advantage I can to speed up. And so I came off that bridge that goes over I-35 and I was going down and I was accelerating at a Toyota Prius accelerated pace aided by a little bit of gravity. And apparently, I learned some things that day. One is, it is 55 miles an hour for a long, long time. As you approach that 35 interchange it changes to 55 and it doesn't get to 75 until you pass the police officer sitting right in front of the sign who's right there and so um, as happens uh, I see those lights and I'm thinking surely he's just going to go past me but no he's you know he's right behind me so I, I, I do what my dad instructed me to do which is if you get pulled over you pull off far enough to the side of the road you get your license and registrations out, and you're respectful. That's what my dad told me. That's what your parents probably told you. When you get pulled over, do this. So that's what I did, and I learned some lessons, right? Thankfully, it was just a warning, because I prayed. Maybe, I don't know. I did pray, you know. It's like, whew. And, um, but that's not the experience of other people. Um, People with a different skin color than mine, that's not the instructions they give their kids. Pull over, get out your license and registration, and be respectful. There's a whole lot of other things that go for our black brothers and sisters and how they teach their kids and what they tell their kids when they get pulled over. I have an unearned benefit that when I tell my kids when they get pulled over what to do, I'm not worried about it. I think of Stuart Scott, who was one of my favorite sports center anchors. And I remember him telling a story, and it stuck with me because he was the guy that said booyah, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But I heard an interview one time that said, you know, it's a different world because when I get pulled over, I always put my mom on speakerphone so somebody hears. And I never even would think about that. There's unearned privileges that you and I, by the color of our skin, it doesn't mean that our life is better. It doesn't mean that our life is simpler. It doesn't mean that we don't have other challenges. It just means that there's an unearned benefit that you and I have because of the color of our skin, that there is a thing like white privilege that we have. 
And we're used to that. And we also have the saying that I like to call Christian privilege. That we are used to being the dominant voice. We're used to being the ones whose lives orient around ourselves. I think about even other Christians like the Seventh-day Adventists who worship on Saturday for years and years and years. They believe that should be the, the holy day, but yet we don't orient our calendar around them. It's been around us that Sunday morning and Wednesday night are the time. And when something interferes with that, we, we, we feel that we've lost something, a sense of security, a sense of hope, a sense of normalcy. But that's just part of what happens when a world goes from a Christendom to post-Christendom. That same uh, theologian and historian, he said this, post-Christendom is the time when the church is more marginalized and also more distinctive in her identity and witness. That we are now not in a time of Christendom anymore, but we're in a time of post-Christendom. Where the default, where the privilege does not go to the church. Now, we're still part of what I would call the preferred. 64% of people self-identify as Christians. But if you see the way that trajectory is going, it won't be long until Christians are just part of. We're going from privilege to preferred to part. Now, we can grieve some of that, and we should grieve some of that. But we also need to understand, how did we get here? And I like what Dr. Richardson said. He said, a key factor is that when movements succeed, they become more focused on worldly concerns and they become more like the culture that surrounds them. In that way, their causes become more akin to the cultural causes of the day and they stop emphasizing evangelism, eternity, and the unique or distinctive characteristics and emphasis of vibrant religious faith. He says the bottom line, churches decline because they succeed and become like the culture. How did we go from a Christian world to a post-Christian world? We were successful in reaching people, but then we got power and we liked it. We got security and we liked it. We got safety and we liked it. And particularly it's dangerous when, when we as Christians get political power. There's something about Christians that even though Jesus said stay away from power... We love to enmesh ourselves with power. And so we got safe. We got to the top and we liked it. We liked the privilege of having schedules oriented around ourselves. We liked being the dominant voice. We liked being comfortable. But the gospel again and again and again is not about comfortability. It's about Jesus. It's about his power. And it's about his way of living that is not about any other way of the world. You know, again, we, we, I don't ever expect a secular world not to be secular. And we have a secular world that is around us. But the gospel is not the American gospel. The gospel is Jesus. Period. He existed long before we did. He'll exist as we are and he'll exist long after we are. You see, I think that the biggest problem with Christians today is that we prefer our comfort and security over our Christ. It's more challenging to be a Christian today than it's ever been, and that is a loss and a grief that you and I have experienced. But that doesn't mean we're being persecuted, and it doesn't even mean that it's a bad thing, because Jesus has done amazing things in history to transform people's lives when he did not have the power of the world. 
but the power of the Spirit. I mean, let's go back to these words that Jesus said earlier today. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to add these other words right after that. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So imagine this scene, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples and to others who would follow him. Now the first thing is they would probably be astonished to even potentially be in the same conversation with the prophets. Is this even possible? But imagine how important these words would have been to Jesus' disciples as they followed Jesus. I mean, Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. And we live lives of comfort and security. That is not cross-carrying. That is privilege. And that's not what we're called to live. Now, I'm a big fan of safety. I'm a big fan of security. After, like, food, water, and shelter, that's our next biggest need. I want us to be safe. But what Jesus is doing is he's turning the whole thing on his head. And he said, don't seek safety in the way that you and I normally do. Don't seek safety in these earthly things. Instead, seek your safety in me alone. And his disciples, 11 of the 12 disciples, died a martyr's death. Imagine as they were being persecuted, as they were being killed, that they were probably saying in their heads and in their hearts these words, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, great is your reward in me. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But we as a church and we as people, we can get so caught up in these culture wars because we're grieving what we've lost. As my, as my friend Tom said, first they took out prayer in school, then they um, taking out the Ten Commandments. I wonder what's next. That's a grief that he's experiencing. That's a grief that we're experiencing. But, but when he said that, there was something that, that, that stayed with me. And it's amazing how like, God just plants seeds. Whether you like him or not, God plants seeds in your life. And, and there was that day a seed that sprouted from... Mr. Dunbar's eighth grade social studies classroom in my life. Now, Mr. Dunbar or Coach Dunbar, depends on what room I was in. If I was in the classroom, it was Mr. If I was on the field, it was Coach Dunbar. One of those teachers, right? You all have some of those teachers who just totally make a difference in your life. And he was a great coach, a great teacher. And, and Mr. Dunbar in his classroom, he had, um, he had a bumper sticker. He didn't have a bumper, but he had a bumper sticker up there. And he said, and that bumper sticker said, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in schools. Absolutely. You see, we get, we get lost in these culture wars about what is going on and what we've lost. And it's not about that. No person could ever take away prayer in school because prayer is about my connection with God, not about something else. We're used to a privilege, but that's not what faith is about. Faith is about following Jesus. And faith is about bringing the Beatitudes to the people who need them, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when the Ten Commandments came off the walls at Muldrow Public School, there was a big school board meeting. 
by big school board meeting, I mean, and I, I, one of my favorite things is to tell people the name of the largest church in town was the, was the First Assembly Church. A uh, pastor, a good friend of mine, his name was Sean Money. We called him Brother Money. It's a good name for a pastor, right? And he, he, he was very passionate about it, and so he told his church to show up, and there was a couple hundred people at the school board meeting where they were talking about this. I, the, one of the differences between a Methodist church and a Pentecostal church is he told his people to show up, and they did. I said, consider showing up, and a couple did. At that meeting, um, the, the young man who, who sent in the complaint um, had been identified by that point in time. And one of the things that, that he said is he overheard, um, well, his dad overheard somebody saying that he'd like to walk up to that kid and punch him in the face. A kid's 16, 16 years old. And a man says, I want to punch him in the face. Now, we've said things like that before, haven't we? But to a kid? One of his best friends went to our church. She talked about how hard it was for him. I saw the way that, that we were reacting as a, as a Christian community to him. It's not the gospel, the way we were reacting. It wasn't the good news. It was us being afraid that we lost something that was never taken away. I mean, I pulled our Sunday school classes together and I said, okay, we care about this. This is important. What are the Ten Commandments? Probably like you are trying to think of them right now, they struggled. So after a few minutes, we finally got all ten. I said, well, is it working? Is having the Ten Commandments on the walls of our school working? No. If we really want the Ten Commandments to be a part of it, it's not up to a picture on the wall. It's up to us. To share the good news, but because we're in post-Christendom and we've lost the evangelistic aspect of things, we just assume that something is going to be done instead of being part of something that's being done. What if we were the church instead of let a picture do the work of the church? And so um, I felt for that kid. And, and one of the things they tell you not to do in a sermon is don't ever make yourself a hero. So I don't really feel like I'm a hero in this story. But I, I did what I believe was the next faithful thing, which was just to reach out to this young man. Say, I'm a pastor in town, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way we've treated you. I'm sorry for the reaction that you've gotten. I don't think you did anything wrong. He said, thank you, and that was about the end of our online interaction. I don't even remember a whole lot of what was said. What I do know is that months later, the young lady in our youth group, her name was Anna, invited her friend to come to church. And Wednesday night, that Wednesday night, it was actually my last Wednesday night before I moved to Tulsa, that kid came to church. He didn't come to church because the Ten Commandments were on the wall. He came to church because his friend saw him and loved him, and he felt like he wasn't alone. My friends, sometimes we get upset about all sorts of things, and we react and we respond to stuff because we want to protect our privilege that we've had. But the truth is, is that that is us continuing and continuing to miss the point. I mean, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, and we have a hard time telling a coach no my kid can't be there. 
We have a hard time wanting to experience things. But you and I right now, we're in no danger of persecution. But we are in danger of missing the whole point. The point of life is not to just be comfortable with Jesus, but to be courageous following Jesus in a world that might not understand and might even at times be against him. Of course it would be. But that doesn't change our calling. We follow Jesus here into the arms of the broken, and it's him that our safety and security and our faith lie in. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sifting sand. This is what we hold on to. Jesus is what we hold on to. Life is what we hold on to. This is where our security is. And it's where the security was for those disciples who gave their life. It's where the security has been for Christians across the centuries who have given their lives for the faith because they are sincere in their belief and trust that Jesus is who he says he is. An early church father said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we are able to worship freely here because others were so convicted and convinced that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and that we can trust in him. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. Right now, Lord, we just open ourselves. Lord, we, we can make it about so many things. But, Lord, we want to make it about you, that you are our security, that it's about your way, not our way. And, Lord, I know sometimes we, we get offended, we, 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 we get hurt, we, we get grief because things have changed. But, God, it is oftentimes in these times of change, in these times of uncertainty, when you can do a new thing, and you can reach people. And so, God, that's what we want to do is we just want to reach people with your amazing love. Not to get comfortable, not to have our security, not to get used, God forbid, to power. But to put all of our hope and trust in you. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.